you, Mel. Thanks, guys, today is sharing song with us. Good morning. It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. Welcome uh, to Trace Creek Church. We're glad that you're here today and chosen to spend this day with us. And may God bless your time uh, with us. And may you feel at home and welcome uh, by God's people. I'm, I'm kind of not associating much today. You don't want what I got going on, all right? And so I'm going to try to keep to myself a little bit. And at invitation time, uh, probably Brother Nathan or somebody else is going to come up here and, and take care of that and greet you uh, as you come uh, even today. But I want to invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3 today as we continue on our beautiful journey through this glorious gospel. And today as we look in verse 7 through 19 uh, that we're going to be really in, it's kind of a transitional point, it's kind of a midpoint, turning point uh, in this gospel and the direction that it is heading and what is going on. And today we're looking at the calling of the disciples and uh, just titled it that in uh, just referencing the promise, Brother Mike, and that scene, the calling of the disciples. I thought that would be appropriate there. And so that's what's going to happen today in this text. And then uh, I anticipate uh, that next Sunday that we will take a time to uh, kind of look at the individual men, those disciples, those men individually. And so we'll try to do that uh, next week if, if that can happen in one week. I don't know. We'll just have to see, uh, see what happens, all right? If, might bring a sack lunch and we'll just do it, all right? Uh, whatever, we'll just see, okay? So today, Mark 3 and verse number 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Adumia and from beyond Jordan, they were about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. When they had heard the great things he did, they came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues and unclean spirits. When they saw him, they fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed him them uh, Boangers, which is the son of thunder. And, the son, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot which also betrayed him and they went into an house let's pray together father we come lord gratefully gratefully today with your people or an opportunity to come and to fellowship and lord to worship you collectively father we thank you lord for your spirit who has spoken to our hearts God, as we're thrilled about 
your son, Jesus. And Lord God, that all that he has done for us. And Lord, that our relationship with Jesus isn't just in a past tense. But oh God, it's for the moment. For now. And Lord, we pray that these moments would be your moments. And Lord God, that we would hear from you. Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged, that we'd be encouraged by your word today. Several men out preaching the gospel today from our number, and Lord God, I pray for them. I pray that you'd speak to them and through them the words of life today. Lord, I know there's all sorts of scenarios that we've come into this place from today. Some of us have had a great morning, a great week, life is good And some of us have a tough morning, a tough week, and life is tough. Lord, some of us coming in here today that we do not know you as Christ and Lord, and some of us today have been saved for many years. So God, from these different places that we come, Lord, different conditions that we come, Lord, we pray that you would be Lord of all today. And Lord, in my life supremely, Lord, we be sensitive to your leading even as we preach your word today. I pray for the kids as they meet in next generation. God, that you'd work in their little hearts. Lord, those are in nurseries. And God, that these days that you'd just be preparing them for them to make you Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for freedom. Thank you, Lord God, that the chains have been broken. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we look in these few verses together, the calling of the disciples. First of all, we see that the people were abounding. People were abounding. And then secondly, we see the power and authority of Jesus. The power and authority of Jesus. And then lastly, in these few verses, we see the picking of the apostles. That here in these verses that he shows us the people who would carry out the ministry once he was no longer here upon this earth. In 7 and 9, we see that people truly were abounding. Now, verse number 6 sets the stage for this text of Scripture in that we see that that Jesus, that he had had them all, all tore up and wound up over his, what he had done on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees, that they have joined with the Herodians now in verse number 6 on how that they might destroy him. And that's on their mind and they would not rest until they had done that very thing. And so with that in mind, that these people were out to destroy him, That now that Jesus, that he understands the situation, and it is obvious that he needs to get away for a little while. And so as Jesus Jesus often does, that he takes himself to a remote place. I think it's Vincent that mentions that some 11 times that the Gospels mention that Jesus, that he gets alone into a remote place. And I believe that it was necessary in the plan of God that in order for all the time and to work about that Jesus just had to get away. And sometimes I believe it was for his own physical well-being. 
And sometimes it was for his own mental well-being that Jesus had to get away. And so he does that. He, he goes to a, another region there and he withdraws himself, is what the Bible says, to the sea. And to a multitude from Galilee and Jerusalem, from Adumi and beyond Jordan, and they are about Tyre and Sidon, they all follow him. Man, what a multitude it must have been. Now, as he talks about a great multitude uh, following him, in verse 9, he uses the word disciples. Uh, the word disciples here, he isn't speaking of the 12 at this point, even though they were part of that. He was talking of all the people who were interested in what he was doing and what he was saying in and of that time. The disciple, it means a, it means a learner. They were listening, they were observing, they were learning what Jesus was all about for the most part, that these people were just following him for what they could get out of him for the most part. But yet in this, that sure, there were those who were there for the right reasons, those who wanted a relationship with him, those who recognized that they needed their sins forgiven, but not all. Many fell away. But this multitude, I want you to get in your mind today as he talks about a multitude. This isn't simply 50 or 100 or probably even 500 that most scholars believe that at this point that literally there were thousands with an S, thousands of people that were coming upon Jesus that wanted to get up close and personal with Jesus. That At this point that Jesus was uber popular, that throngs of people desired to hear him they desired to touch him and the only way for him to get any relief at all was to go to the some of the most remote parts that he could find now you see the the areas that they came from you look on the map it was from the north the south the east and the west that from every direction that you could fathom, that people from all over, that they flocked to see Jesus. Here, this Adumia, uh, this is the only place that, that is even mentioned, only time that this place is even mentioned in the Bible. And so they were coming from the remote parts, from places that were not even known for anything else, and yet people were coming from everywhere in order to get a, a piece of Jesus, in order to receive a miracle from Jesus, in order to see the wonder-working power of this man. And this was not just Jews, but the places that he mentions here even the Gentiles were coming to hear about Jesus and friend that he had he had about him a, a way that they had never ever experienced with anyone else that he was unlike anyone else and what he said and in what he did the Pharisees they hated him but yet they could not deny who this Jesus was Oh, man, he was the son of God, the son of God. And so he gets away unless they should throng him. And, and that's what verse number nine says. So it got to the place that almost to a point of chaos. And so he slips away 
so he could do the most important thing so that he could teach them. The Bible says that he had a a small ship in verse number 9. He spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him. That way he could get in that ship and that he could cast out a little ways and that he would be able to speak to the multitudes there and and not not just you know for them pressing in but but even for the uh, acoustic part of it as he as he spoke that his voice would carry among the thousands of people who were there to hear him can you put yourself there and being there and and the and rubbing shoulders with all those people who were there for one reason there was one man that was the center of attention his name's Jesus all the people that wanted to get to Jesus and then in verse 10 and 12 we see that beyond the multitude of people there that we see demonstrations and of his power and of his authority that he, that he exhibited there among the multitude. For he had healed many, insomuch they pressed upon him for even to touch him. As many as had plagues and unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, Thou art the Son of God. Now, this was a common a common scene that he was healing, that he was curing, that he was helping those that were in need. And as I continue to stress throughout the Gospels, when you see the ministry of Jesus as he is curing the physical needs, that he is ministering in a physical way, that it should remind us that Jesus came to heal the the needs of your life beyond uh, the physical, but he came to do the spiritual. He just touched the physical so that we would believe that he could touch the spiritual. And that's exactly what he did, that he touched the physical so they would know So they could authenticate. He would authenticate the message of salvation. Now, even touching him. They wanted to touch him. In Mark chapter 6, it references just touching his garment. Oh, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. Oh, the power of Jesus. I wonder what it is in your life today that you need the power of Jesus for. That you need Him to change the circumstances of your life. That you need Him to come and do a miracle inside of you. Friend, He's still in the business of changing lives. Oh, there's plenty of people here today that can stand up and say, Oh, He changed my life. He changed the direction of my life. He changed my very destiny. Oh, you don't know where I was at, but but Jesus, and he came, and he touched me, and he changed me, and here I am today, whole. Only Jesus can do that. And that's what happened to these people. There was no disability too bad. There was no disease so devastating that Jesus could not instantaneously, on the spot, cure it. Not one disease that was beyond the ability of Jesus. 
Jesus that he didn't tell them to go and take this medicine, come see me in six months, and we'll try it again, and we'll try it again, and we'll try it again. There, Johnny on the spot, he took care of it. There wasn't any, wasn't any mistaking what happened, that God cured this person. And that's what we see here, the power of God on display, that he cured completely and he cured immediately those who came unto him. No one before him and no one after him had the ministry like Jesus Christ did. He is in a class all of his own. He had power. Look, he says in verse 11, and unclean spirits, not just ailments and physical ailments, but spiritual, spiritual attack, spiritual possession, if you will. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. You know, uh, we, we tend to either take two camps on, uh, you know, the unclean spirits. We either dismiss it as, you know, just some sort of folklore or whatever, or we see an unclean spirit under every rock there is, all right? And I think somewhere in the middle is the truth that they are still alive and well. They are still active. They are active in Jesus' day, and they are active in our day as well, okay? But they were no comparison that they, they were not in the same league with Jesus. That in his very presence, that they had to come and say, Uncle, that I surrender. That here I am. That I give up. That you are God. Then I confess that before everybody. All right? That's just what they had to do. They had to confess it. Now, we see them often in Scripture, and they are real. They're active and all those things, but they are not on the same uh, level with the Lord Jesus Christ. That Satan's power is not equal to God's power. All right? Now, let me tell you what, the, what it is. Satan's power is greater than your power, but it's not greater than God's power. All right? And so we need to know that, need to be reminded of that, and we see that he had authority. He demonstrated authority over these demonic and satanic spirits, and so they fell down before him and they cried out. You see, I, I think that normally these satanic forces, that they usually lurk in the darkness, all right? But, but when Jesus came on, it was like turning the light on and watching those roaches display. See, in the light of Jesus, they had to flee. In the light of Jesus, that they could no longer linger in the shadows, but he exposed them for what they were. So he had authority over them. Notice they had to truthfully acknowledge who he was, but Jesus did not desire. He did not desire that they acknowledge him, and he did not tolerate that they would even endorse him he didn't want that he didn't need that it wasn't what he's about they had to be quiet at his command they had to flee at his very command that's power that's authority when you speak to them and they do what you tell them to do it's authority now satan and his forces had to acknowledge but now just as then even though satan and his demons acknowledged him, yet there were plenty of people in that day that failed to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
You know today that the truth is the same. Yes, Satan and his demons, they still must acknowledge who Jesus is. That it's undeniable that he got up out of the grave and that he kicked the rear end at Calvary. All right, that's all there is to it. And they cannot deny that, that they are a defeated foe. And they cannot deny that Christ is the victor. And yet, for the life of me, I do not understand how that there are people, even some, who are sitting in this building today, that you continue to reject the message and the gospel and the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if Satan and the demons of hell recognize Jesus, I plead with you today to recognize and to submit and to bow yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ today and allow him to cleanse you, allow him to set you free, allow him to be your Lord today. Oh, will you do it today? He desires that. He has the power. He has the authority to claim you as his very own. In verse 13 through 19, as he's picking apostles here, and go through the list, but we see that, and he goeth up to a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Now, he picked his apostles, his disciples, and that they are a unique a group uh, in, in all of history and church. There are not any apostles walking around today in this context, all right? There's 12 of them. And he picked them as his personal projects. And my goodness, they were some projects, weren't they? Wow. He had his work cut out for him. It's about like he does with us. He's got, when he picked you, he had his work cut out for him. When he picked me, he had his work cut out for him. But let me tell you what, Jesus was up to the task. We're here today because the life and ministry of Jesus that he so instilled it in these 12 men that we are here, the, the church of the living God is still alive and well because Jesus got the job done. And these men, now, even if you aren't a numbers person, you have to have thought at some point, why did he choose 12 disciples and not 11 or 13? You know why? I think that we have to go back that it has to have some sort of reference to the fact that the nation of Israel and that there are 12 tribes in the nation of Israel and that he chose 12 disciples as he was creating a spiritual Israel through the life and ministry of these disciples, what would be known as the church of the living God. And so it's a picture. It's a picture of what Christ is doing, what he had desired to do and what he has done in the church. So I believe it's a very intentional number. And one day as uh, the, the Gospels and then Revelation, the book of the Revelation tell us that these 12, that they will have uh, special places in the kingdom of God. And so it's inspiring and it's so full of hope to learn and to know that 
God chose some of the most unlikely men that there were to carry on his mission, and yet it was a success. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give me hope that as I look at my life that sometimes that, you know, I need to have my foot in my mouth or sometimes I need to say and I don't. Sometimes I need to do this and I don't or I shouldn't do that and I do. It gives me hope, my goodness, if God can do what he did through these then he can do what he wants to do through me and through you and through you. That's more important that you, that you know that he can do that through you than it is you know that he can do it through me. Is that he can do it through you in your life and that's his desire. You know, none of them were from the establishment. None of them had been to the schools. None of them had sat under, you know, the right, the right people and all that stuff. They were common. They were ordinary. And they were powerful proof that God is powerful enough to use normal individuals to do supernatural, unbelievable things when we surrender our lives to His will and into His way. And these people, they established and they advance the church of the living God. And today that you and I, as we surrender our lives to His Lordship, the church that was established by the apostles, that today that is brought into our care and that he expects us that he has equipped us and that he will empower us to take the gospel to the next generation to take the gospel to our neighbor to take the gospel around the world if need be and that's what he's called us to do he call, he goes up to a mountain and calls unto him those that he would and uh, Luke's presentation of this event in Luke chapter number 6 and verse 12 that it reveals to us that Jesus spent the night in prayer. He spent the night agonizing with the Lord over exactly who these men were to be and how that were to look like. There's a sense that it appears that Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew, there's a sense in which they had already uh, received a, a call, so to speak. They had preliminarily been called, okay? Uh, already been called, so to speak. Uh, but now we see the, the, the official uh, calling and coming together uh, of, of, these, of this group. It was, a, it was their commissioning he officially called them, and he, the, the Bible here uses the word, he ordained them, that he officially set them apart and, and put them on a course of action that he would have them on. Now, later in, in John, he would remind them, he, said, he told them, he said, uh, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you, all right? And that, that makes a world of difference right there. When you're in the thick of things, when you're in the thick of it, when it's getting rough, when you don't know if you can take anymore, it, it's a great reminder to know you, it, this wasn't you signing up for it anyway, that he signed you up for it. All right? And so that, that's a good thing. He said, oh, I signed you up for this. I saw something in you that you haven't seen in yourself. Isn't that just like God? 
Let me tell you something. Some of you today, you beat yourself up over your past. You, you say, boy, I'm not worth a plug nickel. Let me tell you what. God sees something in you that you haven't yet been able to see. And he desires for that to flourish. He desires for that to grow. He desires to use you in bigger ways that you can even imagine. And friend, that, that's not just Joel Osteen talk there. That's the truth, all right? Now, some of you, some of you, you're going to that commercial on TV. It's got Pinocchio. You know that one I'm talking about? You've got potential. You've got potential. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, that's the fact of the matter. Those men, they, in and of themselves, you'd look at them and say, boy, those guys, they ain't got enough sense to get in and out of the rain. And yet Jesus changed the world with them. Twelve. Twelve men. Common people they changed the world with. He took a bunch of rough-shod guys and made an elite fighting unit out of them. It's not like a made-for-TV movie, isn't it? You know what? The Army does it every day. Man, I bet you go into basic training. You see some people, they can't walk and chew gum at the same time. The time the Army's done with them, they're somebody. It's what God does. It's what Jesus did with these men. Mark describes it in... 14, it says that they should be with him. Be with him. See, that's how Jesus, that he chose to teach them, is being with him. And today it's the same. If you and I are going to be transformed into an elite fighting team, it's going to be this day by day and moment by moment that we are with Jesus. There's no other way around it. It's not in any book that any popular author will write. It's not in the Southern Baptist Convention material. It's not whether we, you know, whether we have Sunday school or don't have Sunday school. If we have cell groups, don't have cell groups. If we do this, we do that. That isn't it. It's being with Jesus that makes the difference in anybody's life. That's it. Being with Jesus. And that was his plan. And his plan has not changed. If we want to be men and women to change the world. It happens only by us being with Jesus and it's not going to happen overnight. Now friend, when Jesus comes and he saves you, he saves you in the blink of an eye. But he transforms your life over time. That's what he does. It must be that way. We're not microwavable in that aspect. He says that we should be with him now notice what he says, not just with him, but he went to be with him that he might send them to preach and to have power. So, you've got to have the presence of Jesus if you're ever going to preach or have power. There's no sidestep in that. It's got to be at the presence of Jesus. And that's what he longed for them to understand. He taught them how to live. 
He taught them how to do life every day, normal stuff. You're never going to be able to preach or have power unless the normal stuff you've got Jesus. It's not going to work. Does anybody watch uh, The Men Who Built America on the History Channel? I believe you're saved, all right? (laughs) Rest of your suspect, all right? Check it out on the History Channel, Men Who Built America. You have Rockefeller, uh, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan. I don't know. It's awesome. They were some, man, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't always ethical, all right? But probably very seldom were they ethical, really. I don't know. But that anyhow, but it tells a great story of what they did and how they changed the landscape of an entire nation. And not by changing the landscape of this nation, they really changed the landscape of an entire world as they introduced the automobile, as they introduced locomotives, as they brought the oil industry, investments and banking and finances and all of these things. They changed the whole world. Well, let me tell you, with all the changes they brought back they brought into this world those five or six men they did not bring about the change in this world that these 12 men right here brought about upon this world that this gospel that was in this little neck of the woods is about like this right here that it is spread to the ends of the earth and now yes there are still there are still pockets of places in the world who hasn't got a a, a good gospel witness of Jesus but for the most part it is around the world and I believe that most of us will see in our lifetime that the gospel will be in every part of the world I believe that and so especially with technology the way that it is and now 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 get this I'm not for sure of the of the exact numbers but there's probably uh, and don't hold me this I hate to say it but there's probably over a thousand languages that are yet to have the Bible into their language but they're, they're attacking that they're dealing with that today like they never have before and I believe most of us will see it getting to every people I believe it and so because of these people they changed the world Like no one else has ever impacted the world. Ordinary people. Their IQ may not have been as high as yours. Probably higher than mine, but maybe not as high as yours. And yet God used them. See, through the life and ministry of these 12 men, we can only speculate The thousands and thousands of people that were brought into the kingdom of God. When you think of Pentecost, that one one time when Peter preached, thousands come to know Christ. By normal, ordinary people. Ephesians 2.20 says that the Church is built upon the foundation of the apostles with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. What they taught and what they taught has been preserved in the New Testament for us today. 
It's an ongoing legacy. And still today that their ministry is affecting your life and mine. They ministered in the power of Christ and on His behalf. So we close today just thinking about who these men are. Their names are recorded in Mark and Matthew and Luke and Acts. Four places in the New Testament that these 12 men, that they're listed. And they always seem to be listed in three groups of four. In all these places, that seems to be the case. And in that, they also seem to be arranged in levels of intimacy with Christ. Every time. Now, there's, there's a few scrambles of where one is or not, but they're always led by the same person and they're always in the same order. And so that we see in their walk with the Lord that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that they seem to be in a bundle. Then you see Philip, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, Matthew, and Thomas in the bundle. And then James and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas all in the bundle. And Judas is where? End of the list. And Peter is always where? The front of the list. And so that we see through that, we can help, helps us to organize in our mind how these men, that they walked in close proximity to the Lord. And not just physically, but spiritually speaking as well. And through these men that God's changed the world. And nobody can deny that. Whether you, you, know, whether you like Christianity, whether you say that you believe Jesus was the Son of God, whatever you want to do. But you cannot deny what Christ did through 12 men like these right here. That He changed the entire world. That we have a calendar that reflects that Jesus Christ was born. We have nations that have laws and rules around the world that reflects that they have a sense of what is right and wrong and true that is based upon the ethics and morals of the Word of God. That there there are memorials around the world today, even in communist countries. Memorials around the world where Christian people have gone and they've made a change. They've impacted entire culture. There are great cathedrals that stand today all around the world that honor these men. That they impacted the world. And if those men with limited resources at best. With those men who didn't have a cell phone or a computer or a printing press or a ride, if they impacted the world, don't you think that He can impact the world with us? With us, right here. Us. And God wants to use you. You. Not the person next to you. Not the preacher. 
God wants to use you. And God has gifted you. And God has equipped you to do the very things that He has called you, us, me, that He has called us to do. That encourages the fire out of me. What about you? That there's nothing that He's called us to that He's not equipped us to do it. We're able because He's able. The calling of disciples. You know what? I'll never be an apostle. But I'm called to follow him. He's calling you today to follow him. All that you are. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon 